Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're on the phone with Stu Seltz. Stu, thanks for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. And thank you for accommodating us. Uh, for those listening at home, this is recorded the day after the 4th of July holiday. So uh, it's an early day here on July 5th, and we appreciate you taking time uh, from uh, your holiday uh, long weekend, I guess, here to talk to us about your journey. So for our listeners at home, Stu, what we traditionally do with our guests is give you the opportunity to share your background with our audience. And what I like to say is, you know, you can tell us a little bit about your professional background, what you were doing prior to being diagnosed, uh, maybe a little bit about your family, where you live, or anything else that you think our audience might find of interest. Okay. Well, um, I'm a uh, Air Force veteran. I spent... Uh, Four years on active duty, three years on total reserve status, and uh, after that I began my career in the uh, transportation industry where I started uh, working as a central dispatcher for various large transport companies. Um, J.B. Hunt was one of them, and I ended my career with FedEx. I was fortunate enough to take an early retirement at the age of 62. And unfortunately, about a year into retirement, I, uh, I found out I was having some issues, uh, health issues, that um, was starting to get concerned about. The health issues actually began, my disease began uh, back in November of 2018. And uh, it was one evening I came home, and I, and I always have an appetite I'm, I, for dinner. And I just didn't feel like eating that that night. This was on a Friday, I remember it well. As the night progressed, my stomach started hurting really bad, and I woke up Saturday morning with some serious abdominal pains, thinking uh, it could have been, it, it was just a stomach flu. I was one of these fortunate people that throughout life had never been hospitalized one time, um, except for a compound fracture that was like 10 years before this this health issue arose. But anyway, um, I went on for about three or four days with abdominal pains that just, just got worse as, as the days and it progressed. And finally went to see my private practitioner. And uh, as soon as he saw me, he knew something was wrong because I was just in his office a month ago for a uh, one-year annual physical. Had done blood work and everything, and I explained to him that I was having abdominal pains and I haven't had hardly anything to eat. I couldn't hold anything down, and he he noticed a yellow tint to my face and noticed some yellowish going on in in the whites of my eyes, and he then became pretty concerned. He did some blood work, and the very next day. Uh, his nurse had called me up and told me to go down to the local regional hospital, and they wanted me to take a CAT scan, which I did. The results came in on a Friday. This CAT scan was done on a Wednesday, and he had scheduled me for what they call it ERCP at a uh, nice facility. It's called Washington Ridge Regional. It is in Fayetteville, Arkansas, so it's a, it's a, it's a really big hospital. They're very, very well known. And um, had this outpatient 
o'clock. I went into the outpatient room, patient room at 12, and the next thing I know, I wake up at 7 o'clock at night, and I am actually admitted into the hospital in a private room. My daughter was at my side. Actually, both of my daughters were there, and they immediately told me that I am definitely not going home today, that I've got some serious issues going on. Doctor will be back in the morning to explain what's happening. Now, when Saturday morning came around, a surgeon came in who had performed my ERCP, which is basically a tube that they just put down your throat. It's about a 40, 45 minute procedure. It has a camera on the end of it and they're actually taking pictures. And at the same time, they can go ahead and remove obstructions mm-hmm. in the bowel ducts, which is what they thought was going on with me. They thought I just had a bowel duct, uh, obstruction. Um, it was more than that. He went on to explain that uh, he found a tumor, and this tumor could not just be removed uh, at the time he was performing the ERCP. And they wanted to go in again one more time and reevaluate it, which they did that Monday morning. And so, so far I've been in the hospital now over oh, about three or four days conducting these tests. They ran another test on Wednesday, and they released me telling me that now I need to go down to Little Rock, Arkansas, which is the University of Arkansas Medical and Science Technology. Uh, It's part of the University of Arkansas Medical Center. And they passed me on to another surgeon. Um, Nothing was said, the, the word cancer was never brought up. And I know why now, because they're not gonna tell you or even indicate or suggest that you might have cancer if they're not absolutely 110% sure. So I went down to Little Rock. This was probably about two weeks later and I was in pain pretty much the whole time because there was really not much pain medication they could give me because they didn't really know what was going on. They didn't know the prognosis. So I went down there and uh, I went down there with my family and uh, spoke with the surgeon who they referred me to and he had looked at my CAT scan that I had taken previously which would have been about two or three weeks old now and he decided to do another ERCP but this was more complex Uh, I I believe the machine they had was the latest and the greatest and they could evaluate and see more Um, about a week later I went down there again had this procedure done and that's when three days later I found out in the mail that that while he was in there he had taken some tissue samples and sent it to pathology and the report was I definitely have cancer and it was cancer of the pancreas I had to go down in about two weeks to be with my surgeon again for consultation to decide what method of so-called attack they're going to do to try to get this cancer and if it was even operable. Again, my family went down there with me and I was fortunate enough to hear, or we were to hear, that the cancer was definitely there. It was in the head of my pancreas and he felt confident that it was operable and he could remove, if not all the cancer, but most of the cancer in my pancreas. Um, a month later, I went into surgery 
at the same facility, UAMS, and it, they performed what they call the Whipple procedure. And this is a procedure that has to do with the removal of cancer or pancreas cancer. And it normally takes anywhere from seven to 10 hours. And he was, the surgical team was in there all and every bit of 10 hours. After the surgery, I found out that the medical team um, pretty much assured me that they felt that they got all the cancer, but will not know for sure once they get another pathology report because he took some more tissue samples. We went back in two weeks and found out that there were some stragglers that were left behind. Some of, had, some of them had reached my lymph nodes where now I am undergoing chemotherapy treatment. I am actually, um, I've gone, undergone five treatments. They're scheduled bi-weekly. That's two treatments a month, which is uh, pretty much an all-day deal anywhere from five to seven to possibly eight hours a day, depending on how busy they are and the amount of medications they administer me for this, this type of treatment. And um, I'm going to find out next week, which is going to be a big day for myself and, of course, my family, um, how much progress and or progress they have actually made with the chemotherapy treatment by giving me another CAT scan and comparing it with the CAT scan that they've taken right before they started administering chemotherapy. And they're hoping that a lot of those cancer cells that they saw um, are, are gone. And that's what we're praying for now. It's really been a pretty much a tough ride. Uh, pancreatic cancer is not an easy cancer, I've been told by several people, not only uh, my doctors, but also research I've done in a lot of people that I talk to that are patients and undergoing the same type of treatment. Um, it's definitely a, I'm not saying it's worse or than any other cancer. All cancers are bad, but um, the part of the body that, that it really attacks is your GI tract. And there's so many internal organs in that area that are so important that sometimes you're, you're actually, even though the pain is in the pancreas, it, it kind of expands into other organs in your body and you can actually feel some discomfort or a lot of discomfort in various areas of your abdomen. So it's, it's not easy. Um, I'm going to, I've already made my mind. The thing I'm doing is keeping a, a positive attitude, of course. That's your number one medication, I think, along with prescribed medications that... Um, doctors have administered and uh, just keep a positive profile keep doing the normal activities that you normally do um, of course to a certain extent you're going to find yourself as you go through chemo chemo does if nothing else the main thing it does is there's a lot of fatigue and the more chemo treatments you take the more tired and lazy you get throughout the day uh, all i do is you know i'll kind of take a quick nap or just kind of relax for a couple hours in the middle of the day and I'm okay to go again at about four or five o'clock till, till early evening hours. I've also uh, got involved with some support groups, which is very, very important. You want to talk with people that are not necessarily going, but undergoing the same treatment for the, for the same type of cancer, but anybody that's cancer ridden um, and 
kind of share your experiences and get together because it really does. It's, it's such a good motivational tool, not only for yourself, but for the other people as well that are part of that group. It's powerful so, advice, Stu. I, I want to jump in here real quick, and I, I got a couple questions. I've been taking notes here. So first of all, thank you for sharing that with our audience. And, and we've never spoke before until we dialed you this morning. So this is the first time I'm hearing your story. I know your daughter had been communicating with people here in our office. But mm-hmm. so you said you went to your general practitioner, and he was surprised because you, you were going. It sounds like you're pretty routine in terms of your checkups. Then. So that was part of your life was going to the doctor every year. That is correct. And he never, the thing about it is he, he would always, the, the, the thing he would say, he says, you are so fortunate. You, uh, you come from a good bloodline and you've got strong, strong genes because, dude, there's nothing, I can't find anything wrong with you. You're as healthy as an ox. And this was like this for years. Not only from this particular practitioner, but from other doctors I've had in the past. And in terms of a family history, like your parents or siblings, is there any history of any there, cancer? There is, there is cancer. Now, that is the thing. There is cancer. When he said that I had really strong genes, I would say that that would be on my father's side. Mm-hmm. My father is, uh, is currently living, still healthy. He is 89 years old, still driving, still, still doing things around the house. I mean, uh, he's just... It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, not to say he doesn't lay down and take a nap once, you know, to once during the day for a couple hours, but other than that, he's going and blowing all the time. And for an 89-year-old man, it's just unbelievable. And his side of the family is is all the same way. Um, Now, on my mother's side of the family, my mother passed away at the age of 74, and that was about eight years ago. She developed ovarian cancer, and she did lose a sister, an older sister to that same disease about five years before my ma- my mom passed. But other than that, on my dad's side, um, it's, the genes are very strong. And uh, Do you have siblings? My mother's side, there was some, some cancer, but it was ovarian cancer. And siblings, any brothers or sisters? Yes. Uh, well, as far as them being healthy, uh, as far as your you you having any brothers or sisters, as far as any history. Oh, I have brothers and sisters. That's true. I'm I'm the oldest of five. Yeah. I have two brothers and two sisters, and they're both healthy and no no problems other than just having maybe their tonsils out or appendicitis or something like that. Wow. Now, yep. when you were diagnosed, you were saying like you had. I mean, again, you were going to your doctor every year. So if there was anything abnormal, they would have probably caught in that. So you had right. this episode in November, and it was really just then. Like there, I know people tend to say, you know, when we talk to people when they're diagnosed, and they'll say, you know, yeah, I didn't really notice anything until X date, but I did feel like, you know, a couple months prior, like I wasn't eating or I ate like, you know, I ate something that I usually ate, and it just didn't sit well for me, and it just felt that way for like a bunch of weeks. So there really wasn't anything leading up to. And then in in November of 18, you just had like those three to four days of just massive pain, abdominal pain. That is a good question because a lot of people have asked me knowing when I told them that I've been going to the doctors regularly for annual checkups or even semi-annual checkups, 
Well, when you go to a checkup and they're doing your annual checkups, aren't they doing taking x-rays and blood work and all that? And I told them, yes, they are. What I found out from my surgeon who conducted this Whipple procedure and does probably two or three a week, I was told, and has been doing this for over 10 years, is that a normal blood test, it's very, very, very remote that they will find or be able to find any cancer or the type of cancer, pancreatic cancer, in that blood test. So when they took, when, when my private practitioner took my blood work the month before, I, I was only in there like three or four weeks before and they had all this blood work done, they did not see anything, anything out of the ordinary. It was all the further testing and the actual tissue samples that they removed once they got into my GI tract that they found the cancer. And that's what's kind of a scary thought. People assume, as I did, that when you have blood work done, if there's anything wrong with you, they're going to find it. Not in certain types of cancer or maybe other other areas. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I think, you know, um, with the general public, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone on this, I, I think people think like with technology, and th there are, like for prostate cancer, by doing blood, you can see what that PSA level is. And typically, right. you know, if that PSA range is well beyond, I think it's like a, a one to six scale. And if it's usually higher on that six or above the six, if my memory serves me right, so don't quote me on this. Don't I don't want any haters coming back to me saying I'm completely wrong. But there is a scale, and I believe it's like a one to six. And when you tend to be on the higher end of the six, closer to the six, there's an elevated, you know, PSA, and and typically then there's more diagnostic testing that is required from that. So th there are, you know, the, and there are some other uh, diseases that, you know, again with a blood test they can tell that something's wrong. But unfortunately, you know, pancreatic cancer. There, there is no early detection tools. There, there's nothing. There's nothing diagnostically that is 100% accurate that we have today. A blood test, or uh, you know, the only way that we can, you know, find out that there is evidence of disease is similar to what you went through, which is you know, doing diagnostic testing in the form of a CT or an MRI to see that there are masses or lesions on the pancreas. And then to do an ERCP, which is an endoscopic ultrasound, or you know, uh, there's one that's a little bit more technical where they can actually go down into the bile duct and into the the pancreatic duct and do biopsies, and then you know, analyze the they, tissue. Yeah, I don't need to mean to interrupt, but that was that they actually did two types of ERCPs while I was at at once I was turned over to the University of Arkansas Medical Science Building there. Yeah. And the last one you just spoke of was the procedure. They finally found it. It was yeah. the, the more intense one. Yeah. So, so they did the first one, and then they did exactly what you just described. And they were also using what they called ultrasound waves. Yep. So and it was that one. So from and That's when I finally got the results that it was definitely cancer. Yeah, and so to do that with everyone, if you, don't, if you are not, you know, sick, or if there isn't an, a history of disease, would just be unethical, right? And insurance wouldn't pay for it. And so that's the challenge. Exactly. You know, that's a big exactly. challenge with this disease is there isn't a, 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 diagno a diagnostic tool 
that is 100% accurate that works, um, whether it's a blood test. And you have to do some of these evasive, you know, diagnostic testing to really kind of make sure and identify that this is cancer. But it's just so fascinating hearing your story, going back to what you explained, you know, is that you were diligent, you were going to your routine checkups and getting, you know, blood work and, and doing everything. And then you have this episode of just stomach pain and digestive things going on for three to four days. And kudos, Stu, to your general practitioner for identifying and realizing right away that something was awry. And, you know, him saying that you had this yellow tint, I wonder if in the back of his mind, and I don't know if he ever asked this question, and maybe I'll ask you the question, did he know that you had pancreatic cancer maybe post after? Like, did he say, or was that ever brought up? He probably didn't say no. it. Okay. No, that was never brought up. He was concerned. He did make, at one time during our conversation, I remember he mentioned something that he was kind of concerned about possibly maybe some sort of liver disease going on. Yeah. But yeah. that's as far as he went with that. Now, he may have known more, but he didn't say anything. Say it, yeah. Well, that's good um, that he even had that inclination, you know, from a liver. I mean, that would have gotten eventually to the pancreas here. Clearly it did. But I can't yeah. tell you, Stu, how many times we have heard here on the Project Purple podcast of people that have gone to their general practitioners and then have bounced around from various doctors and specialists, you know, for months upon months um, when they originally diagnosed. Uh, I, oh, I, I so know that. I've heard know? the same stories as well. You're so, exactly right. So yeah. kudos to your GP for really identifying and, and you know making sure that you went and saw specialists right away. So All I'm, right. And the thing is, too, and I didn't mean to interrupt you just now, the thing is, too, my family keeps mentioning my oldest son is, is the one that really brought it up for the first time. He knows how I am. He knows. And... To the point where there has got to be something really going on with me to go see my doctor other than just a regular physical. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to abide by that. I know I, that's something that needs to be done. But I'm not going to go cry wolf on just a little stomach ache or, you know, or I feel like I got a, you know, got migraines going on. I, I'll tough it out. But with all that, with that said, um, it's really something that I did decide to go to the doctor after about three or four days because I could have just fought this out. I could have started taking some Maalox and all kinds of over-the-counter medication. It did nothing else to relieve some of the pain that I've going on. And who knows? It might, it may have subsided, you know, and, and, it, and it may have subsided for about a month or two. It would have definitely came back is what I was told by my surgeon. But I could have, I could have wrote it out and if we're finally, my body took control and, you know, my immune system kind of kicked in and worked overtime to kind of help what was going on and, and make it a little better and, and put a Band-Aid out of it for a while. In the meantime, the cancer would have just spread. Powerful stuff for people listening at home to really understand and listen to your body. And I've always said mm -hmm. people know themselves best. So if something doesn't feel right, you, unfortunately, you really have to advocate for yourself and, and mm -hmm. you know, until you get the right answer in terms of you feeling comfortable from the medical community, unfortunately, you have to keep asking. Um, and that's right. something that is, uh, you know, just the way the system is, not saying that the system is broke or not saying that the system is great. But I just think that's something that unfortunately here 
Um, you know, in the United States, you just have to really advocate for yourself and, and you really, you know your body best. So if you don't feel comfortable, you know, with the answers you're getting, you really have to kind of keep asking questions and, and find someone who will answer them for you. So one other thing too, to our listeners too, I didn't, you know, you couldn't have told me this if we were talking this time last year, but, um, I was a smoker and I was a smoker. I wouldn't say I was a heavy smoker, but I was a smoker up from the time I was, 26 years old, I, I was a late bloomer. I don't know why I ever picked up that pack of cigarettes. I, I picked those up while I was in the military, as a lot of military people did, unfortunately, at that time. And I, I've been smoking since, you know, to the age of 62, 63 years old. Um, 90%, that's one of the first things my, my surgeon told me, uh, 90% of the people that were diagnosed with pancreas cancer were had smoked at one time in their life. So, and it, it does, that doesn't necessarily mean that smoking will, you know, does provoke or does cause cancer or pancreatic cancer. I mean, there, there is that, that small 10% that never did smoke and have developed pancreatic cancers, but you're, you're stacking the odds against you when you do smoke. So if you're smoking, quit. That's all I can say. I no longer smoke. The day I, the day I encountered those, those pains, I, first of all, I didn't have a taste for a cigarette. So, um, and that was back in November, second week in November, and here we are into the first week in July. And when I found out I was starting to have an issues, uh, I didn't have a taste for a cigarette, I, nor did I even want one, and haven't had one since. That's pretty powerful. We've never, I've never had anyone on the podcast mention that in terms of yeah, uh, smoking. I just, I knew something was going on, and I knew it was serious. My body was sending me signals. Um, even, even. Even up until the time I actually got word or got, you know, the conference laid on the table, so to speak, that you do have cancer and it is pancreatic cancer. Remember before I got that news, which was probably the first part of February or the end of January, right about that time frame, um, I, I still was not smoking. I just, I wanted one. I'm not going to say I didn't want one now and then, but I just made myself, I just said, no, no. There's something going on here until we find out what's going on. I, you don't need to add add more fuel to the fire. So if that's what's what your part of my problem would be. So we all we all should know our bodies. You know, I mean, we should get we should start paying more attention to our bodies. I've learned that in various sessions or conversations I've had with fellow cancer patients as well. It's powerful stuff, Sue. So I appreciate you being, yeah. being yeah. really honest with us there, because that's a yeah. that's kind of a look in the mirror, and and I know that's probably mm-hmm. not an easy thing to say because there's maybe some guilt associated with that, or just you know knowing. I, I think I think the majority of people who smoke know that it's probably not good for them, but I've always heard you know from family members and from friends that you know it just it's a hard thing to to, to break, man. You know, and and unfortunately. <laughs> out there I see it and it's so sad there's lung cancer patients that I've actually followed out the door outside the clinic that as soon as they get out the door they are lighting a cigarette I've seen it sad and I just you know and I just pray for them I just shake my head and pray for them and these are lung cancer patients which I see. Uh, one other thing I'd like to mention too, while it's on my mind, a lot of people, oh, especially me, 
that. There's absolutely no way. Not, no, not, no, no, not what I've heard. I heard that chemo is worse than the cancer itself. I thought the exact same things. As a matter of fact, when I was told by my medical team coming back from Little Rock, riding with my children, or my son-in-law and my, my youngest daughter that picked me up, that I refused to do chemo. Once I found out I had to do it, I'm going to have to think about it a lot. Um, of course, three days later, I made the decision to, 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 to undergo chemo, as I have been up until this day. But it is a rough ride. It's not easy. You're going to have, everyone's going to have side effects, and everyone's side effects are going to be different, and some are going to be more than the other. Um, it's tough, but if you're, I, 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 I'm going to say I've been pretty fortunate with mine because I can pretty much regulate when I'm going to have my side effects. I can go in for treatments on Tuesday, and it's every other Tuesday, and I know that I'm going to be good for at least three or four days. So come Friday or Saturday is when I'm going to, when the side effects will start kicking. And my side effects are nausea, and I don't mind saying it's common diarrhea. That only lasts for two days, and they give you medications for those side effects to make it a lot less, uh, to make it so you have a lot less discomfort and to help you with that. Um, yeah, the fatigue is, is, is going to be there. Um, you may have some sore throats. You may develop some mouth sores. You're definitely going to lose your taste buds, um, especially certain foods that you eat. It's going to be a hard time, but it is tolerable, uh, especially if you compare the alternative. And I'm waiting for the day, which hopefully will come soon because I'm going on my sixth treatment now. Um, and hopefully when I do the uh, CAT scan on the 12th of this month, I'll be told that maybe just a couple of more chemos and hopefully my doctor can state that it'll, it's gone on remission or it'll be, you know, there's a good possibility that it's, it's going that direction. And I can, what we call as chemotherapy patients, ring the bell. And ringing the bell is, is a proud moment because that's when you're really considered first-time survivor, second-time survivor, third-time survivor, et cetera. What, yeah. uh, what chemotherapy protocol are you on, Stu? Do you know what the treatment is? As, as far as the, uh, as the drugs that are administering me? Correct. There's one, that, there's one, and it's not actually pronounced this way, but it's so funny because the nurse said the easiest way for you to remember this particular drug that we're giving you, and we're giving you to, it's giving you this drug every session. It's called I Ran to the Can. <laughs> <laughs> that is the name of the drug because if you read it, you know, you know, pharmaceuticals, drugs, medications have all these weird names. Yeah. And this one is, and it's not exactly spelled that way. But when you pronounce it, that's the pronunciation. I ran to the can. I ran to the can. And so it's more like I, I read a con. Yeah. I read a con or I something con, like yeah. that. It's real close to it. If you Google it enough, it'll actually come up. I read a con or I ran a con. That's one of the medications. 
The other one is what's called a very popular medication for pancreas cancer. It's five, it's FFU, like in Frank. Yep. Pardon me, yeah, you just said it, yep. 5-F-U. And that's, I, I get the large, that's my longest dosage. Yeah. That's the one they give me after they give they gave me two or three other medications. This one takes two hours to administer. Yeah. So that's what I'm taking. And then, of course, before they give me those, the three or four medications, uh, chemo medications, they're giving me, that takes 30 minutes, they give you what they call the pre-meds. And the pre-medication is what, it's going to take away a lot of uh, the side effects on the drugs that they're going to be administering to you while you're sitting there so you don't feel sick or you don't feel nauseated during your treatment. Yeah, yeah. And I never did. It may, they, it may make you a little bit drowsy because they're, 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 they're putting a little bit of Benadryl in there because they want you to relax. The Benadryl is just to make you, it's not going to put you to sleep, but it's, it's going to relax you. Enough to chill you out a little bit so you're not stressed. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's stressful as enough. So you had mentioned something before, and I'm going to jump to this. Um, you talked about having a positive attitude, keeping things as normal as possible in support groups. So when you mention those things with positive attitude, what are some of the things that you use? I mean, getting a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer is very stressful. And, mm-hmm. you know, people go through a battery of emotions and to say like, hey, keep a positive attitude. And we've heard that from a lot of survivors. But I want to share maybe there are certain things that you do that keep you in that positive attitude. Do you meditate? Do you have a journal? Do you have a strong support system? I know you've mentioned your daughters quite a bit. And, you know, we have talked to your daughter, Tammy. So is that part of that positive attitude so what are some of the things that you do to keep that attitude so positive? The things that I do, good question, that I found out that is make, is giving me that positive attitude is to go on every day and do the normal things that you normally do. Now, you may not be able to spend as much time doing them. Whether my number one thing is I'm fortunate enough that after I retired, I found a nice little part-time job right here in the community that I started working probably two months after I retired because I knew I needed something to do. And I was working 15 or 20 hours a week at what we call our recreation center here, mowing the grass, pulling the weeds, emptying trash cans, cleaning the toilets, uh, putting chemicals in the pool, and but it's very productive. It's something that you can, you get up, you get up in the morning, you have something to do with yourself. You're not just sitting around thinking, what am I gonna do today? So with this disease that I have, with still carrying on that normal activity, I'm not doing it as much, meaning not putting as many hours in, in one day or a week, but I'm still getting up and I'm, fe- and, I'm, I'm feeling productive, that I, I'm still able to do something. I still go to the store. I still run down to the lake and I go fishing. I still spend time with my kids and grandkids. I'm not just dwelling on this disease that I have and, and thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't think that way. You, gotta, you have to go on and think like tomorrow's going to be another day and already plan ahead what you're going to do tomorrow. I've already got plans 
for the next three months that with my family that we're going to do certain outing trips together. Just to, to just, you know, to just to, and not that we haven't done that stuff in the past. We're, we're a very tight knit family, but just more so, maybe more so now, just to to give me that extra motivational tool that I need to to, to move on, and uh, you know, not not think about what what's what's going on with this with this cancer situation as much. And of course, I don't know what people's, you know, everybody has different religious beliefs. That's important as well. Are you a man of faith? Pardon me? Are you a man of faith? Uh, I didn't understand that. Uh, Well, let me, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, as far as your faith goes, yeah. Yeah, do you go to church regularly, and was that something that you did before? Well, I don't, you know, I used to, oh my gosh, when the kids were little, we, we would go every Sunday and the kids were involved in church groups and Bible studies and Bible camps, and we were involved in the, the, the adult Bible studies, and, you know, both me and my ex-wife taught Bible school. But as, you know, when you know when the kids got grown and they started going on, I started attending church a, a lot less. I have gone to various churches since I've been retired here in the community to find a home, and I'm still continuing to do that. But... As far as going with my faith goes, and as far as still going to church, yes, I I, I go to church. I'm not going to say that I'm active every Sunday, a member, and that um, that I'm involved in a lot of their extracurricular activities, which I'm probably going to get involved with because that's just more I can do. Um, but yes, I, I, I do that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, we, you know. I think there are some commonalities that you said in the normal, and I think that's something that's so powerful for people to hear because a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer is shattering and can be life-altering, but I think from listening to so many survivors that have mentioned not exactly the same words that you mentioned, but something very similar in trying to live as much of a normal life as possible and what does that look like and what does that become like if you were working out we had a podcast survivor on not too long ago and she talked about how she was a female and you know she had lost her hair and she just wanted to feel normal so she started buying wigs and and still wearing makeup and you know still Mm -hmm. being normal and she used to work out daily and when she got sick because of the chemotherapy treatments, that didn't really allow her to work out at the intensity that she was working out prior, but she still did things every day that were like working out. And it might've been something something so simple as just stretching or some yoga poses that day that she could manage. And I think that's something that's really powerful for people to hear because that helps in keeping your mental sanity and keeping you positive if you're still able to to live a new yeah, you, life you, yeah you pushed the right button on that one you sure did that, that yeah, i couldn't have said it any better than that just like this woman you spoke of just keeping keep up with the normal activities that you have and of course you can't do that the intensity that you have while you're undergoing treatments and such but if you can just do part of it that it's such a such a such a big help such a big help. Powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. My next question for you, Stu, and I've got a couple here left. Um, How has pancreatic cancer changed 
or affected your life. And I know we've talked about a lot of things about your experience, but maybe there's like one or two things that you can identify here for our audience where it could be a positive thing, it could be a negative thing. Well, um, the negative thing to start out with is, as I had mentioned in the beginning of our conversation here, is the, the fatigue. I have never, and, and the reason that bothers me so much is because I've always been a very active person. I, I'm one of those people that just can't nap during the day. Um, and I, and I hardly ever have. And now I, and now I do because I just, it's my body's telling me I need to kind of relax for a couple, two, three hours, um, to kind of get some refuel myself. That's, that's the big part. And then finding myself kind of running out of wind when I may be with, you know, my family and we may be at an outing or doing something. And, um, I just all of a sudden start feeling tired and may have to call it, make a short day out of what could have been a longer day. So that bothers me. Uh, um, that's the negative thing. And there really is in the positive side to any kind of cancer. I mean, you know, you just, if I was to say there is a positive side is, just I look back on all the things that I've done throughout my life and um, where I've been and of course the family and the children I've raised and it's all been so so good and so significant that you know sometimes I think about those things and well Stu you know look back look what you've done look where you've been and and all that. So that's that's that that is a positive note. And you you and you 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 there's no way you're not going to think about that. I mean, you're not you know when you're a cancer patient, you're going to think about it. Have I done everything I wanted to in life? That's when you start going to start asking you those yourself those questions without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, I, I think from hearing your story, though, I, I guess I can say the one positive is that you stop smoking, which. I, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Exactly. And you know what? I mean, yeah. Shame on me because that's the that's the first thing my doctors told me. You know, that's that's your positive note. And I can't, you know. And of course, every time I go in, um, she doesn't ask me anymore. But she was at the beginning, and all she says is congratulations, congratulations. You know, especially you know, and when when she asked me, do I even need any kind of alternative help like nicorette or nicotine i said no she goes good for you that is good no. that is good and the other thing and and i don't know if they explain this to you but statistically and this is not a positive uh, in terms of like the overall but i think it, it is a positive is and what i mean by that is you got pancreatic cancer and you had to have surgery but that's actually a positive i mean only one in five are eligible for the Whipple. So knowing that you had the Whipple. Exactly. Thank you for bringing that one up too. Yeah. I don't know if you knew statistically, I know sometimes people tend to stay off the internet, which we advise um, because sometimes, you know, scary thing. Exactly. But I heard it from my doctor, my surgeon. And when he said that your cancer at the stage it is right now is operable and that's very, very, very good news on a positive note. And that's when he mentioned only 15% statistically. 
else with pancreas are eligible for that surgery. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. It's I mean it's that's it's hardly weird. nothing. Fifteen. That means that eighty-five percent of those people they just say, "I'm sorry, we, we can't. You know, this we can't operate." Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did they ever give you? And I didn't ask this question earlier, Stu. But did they ever give you a staging of the disease, like before the surgery or at any time upon diagnosis? No. Okay. No, I mean I. Don't don't think for a minute that I didn't think about it. <laughs> I mean, come on, we're gonna think about something. Well, yeah, you know? no, and I mean, I think yeah. th- with in today's society, you know, people kind of get fixated on staging and knowing what a particular number is or what the number is. Oh, the staging of it. The yes. staging of it. Yeah. Actually, yes. Actually, yes. It took a lot to get that answer. And if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if it was my actual surgeon that told us the stage progression or if it was my doctor or my oncologist that I, that's treating me now. It was either one or the other. My daughters probably will remember, mm-hmm. but it was a stage two. Stage two. Wow. Okay. It was stage two, right at stage two, and at stage two being still with being still operable. And my yes. my other question was that I, I forgot to ask earlier was at any point when you were diagnosed, was there any type of genetic testing done? Because you had mentioned your mom had died of ovarian cancer and you mentioned someone else on your mom's side had the same. No, not that I recall. No. Okay. Okay. Just the questions were asked and the doctor recorded those, my answers. Okay. That's basically. Okay. Okay. Um, my last question for you here. And as I mentioned, when we first started recording, you know, our audience is pretty vast. We've had a lot of survivors on. And I think before we started to record, I mentioned this is, you know, this, podcast is really an opportunity for survivors, fighters, and other people to share their story. And maybe there's someone who's listening to this podcast and is having the same issues, maybe, mm-hmm. or, you know, might be a smoker and might be inspired by your story or someone who just was diagnosed. What advice- or, or someone that knows of someone that is, I'm finding that out. I'm getting a lot of response from Love people that have loved ones loved they're ones. going through. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the caregivers. What advice right. would you give, though, to someone who's just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? Uh, to find, immediately try to find as much support as possible because that's what the that's what you're going to need. You are going to need support, and that starts with your immediate family and close friends, and. You need to also work with work on your faith. Be very, you know. I'm not saying that you need to start going to church every day during the week. No, don't don't get me there or start reading the Bible, the scriptures every night. But you know, you you, you just get time to possibly sit down and spend some time to look at how strong your faith is and 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 concentrate and go from there and kind of maybe have that little discussion with with our lord to develop a plan once you've got your support group together and you know you pretty much told yourself that um i'm going to start you know working on my faith because i I don't think my faith is strong enough or it it, it hasn't been um now work on a plan to keep yourself occupied 
to continue doing the things you like and don't and don't let this disease or this demon I call it bring you down in any way, fashion or form. Um and just continue oh, very important, very important. Do exactly trust your medical team and do exactly what they're telling you to do. Everything from every appointment that they that they schedule for you to the to the last prescription they wrote they write that is so so important because these people definitely know what they're doing and and actually you're at their mercy but if you don't follow their instructions um, you're just going to make matters worse for yourself so I was never one I mean there's pills that you know. That sometimes I look at and I go, I don't really need to take this pill tonight. Well, uh, but, you know, I finally convinced myself otherwise. The doctor wouldn't have prescribed this to me if I didn't need it because you will be getting a lot of different types of medications during the process. So those are things that I can think of right offhand that I would share with, a, with another patient that just found out and was diagnosed with that type of cancer. What's the best thing... That and I got this is my last question. The best thing that a friend or family member has done for you because, and, and I'm gonna back up. I think people, and we've heard this from both sides like caregivers don't know what to do for someone who's suffering, and then someone who's sick, they say, Well, people, you know, they like people like disappear or people. You know, they want to come and talk to me, but they just want to talk about me being sick. So what's just maybe if we talk about your support group. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a couple of family members. I'm not going to mention which ones. And because I do have a large family, um, they are not my immediate children, my kids. But I do have some that have are doing exactly what you just described it, you know, the last that even though they're so overly concerned with my well-being and this disease that I have, I've noticed since I've been going through the chemotherapy or shortly before that, very, very little um, communication from them. And I know that one of them has actually said to me that it's like, I love you, I care about you, but it's so hard to talk to you right now knowing what you're going through. I don't know what to say. I don't know what questions to ask. I'm afraid I'm gonna say something wrong. Um, that bothers me. And that's not only from, <laughs> that's not only from a, a couple of family members that I mentioned, but that's from people coming from people I know I could walk in a grocery store and I live in a community it's a retirement community it's a large retirement community but still you recognize a lot of faces you know a lot of people and I've actually walked in a grocery store or through a grocery store where people know that I have been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that I could see them coming up the aisle they'll actually see me and turn the opposite direction mm. yes and that bothers me. And I know why they're doing it, because they just are maybe not comfortable at that particular moment to talking to me. I noticed that. And these are and these are people that 
don't get me wrong, these are people that love to talk. They would love to stop in the middle of the aisle. They have nothing much to do anyway. <laughs> and make conversation with you. But yeah, that, that really bothers me. It really does. And it's like, why? You know? You don't even have to bring it up. You know, let's just talk about things that I'm thinking to myself, too. We could just talk about things we've always talked about, whether it be fishing, golfing, and, you know, what's, what's, when's it, the next concert coming into town here on the island? And, you know, when you get on the go, are you going to the pool party? You know, da 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 da. But yeah, I've noticed that. That does bother me. So keeping it normal is probably the best advice. Yeah, just keep it normal. And just to add one other thing to that, is don't don't constantly ask me how am I feeling? How am I feeling? I'll let you know how I'm feeling if I'm leaving bed. You know. So I mean, I know that I know that's that's hard. Not you know that's that's hard. And I probably myself would ask someone the same question, but it's harder to you know. It's easy to ask for someone to ask, but it's harder to accept that question when you're going going through that. You know oh. because. As soon as they say, first thing they say is, well, how are you feeling? Now you're already thinking about your disease and what you've got yeah. and, and so forth. So It's powerful. I, I, I like hearing, this is what I like hearing, and I hear this more so than how you're feeling, which is really good. And that is, wow, Stu, you are really looking good, dude. That's what I like to hear, you know, when you get that kind of compliment. So Powerful stuff, Stu. Yeah. So... And this is totally up to you. For mm-hmm. our audience listening at home, if there's a way where people can connect with you, maybe there is someone listening to this podcast, too, that is going through the same ordeal and would love to connect with you. What's the I best I would love way? to share my email address with them. Absolutely. Here's, our, here's your opportunity, so go right ahead. Okay, my email address is S-T-E-W. That's like Stuart Tango Edward. Uh, what do we come to, and what do we got called for world? <laughs> yeah. Man, and here, here I am, ex Air Force military guy. <laughs> Don't even know the alpha codes anymore. Um, SS, like in Sam, Sam, EE, Edward, Edward, at gmail.com. That's Stu, SS, EE, at gmail.com. Awesome. And by the way, that the W just finally came to my mind. That's whiskey. Whiskey, that's right. W like in whiskey. That is the alpha code, by the way. That's the awesome. The military alpha code. Anyway, but I enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed sharing my experience and what I'm going through right now, and um, stick with my positive note and just continue. Actually, what I'm going to do as soon as we're done with this phone call is I'm going to go down and put in a couple hours of work at the rec center today. Awesome stuff, so, Stu. Well, yeah. we appreciate you taking the time after the holiday to share your story with our audience. And that's a wrap of another project. I got, I, I, I got, a, I got a great compliment from my oldest son yesterday. Speaking of the holiday, they came out to visit me for the 4th. And I guess they were they got here as early as 10 o'clock in the morning. And I took them to places. We did a lot of running around with the kiddos. So, had a, I got a beautiful granddaughter and grandson, and we did all kinds of things, kind of a whole day thing. My, my son texts me later on that evening, and he goes, "Dad, for what you've been going, what, for what you went through, and first of all, I want to say every time I see you, you're looking really, really good. 
And you lost out today. <laughs> Jeez, Dad. Running them ragged. Me and Andrew are sitting here on the couch. Wow, we are beat. Running them ragged. <laughs> love it. Love I it. did. I did. I, I ran them ragged yesterday. Well, Stu, thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast and for sharing your story of inspiration for our audience. And as we say here at Project Purple, that's a wrap on another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Yeah.